Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I am your host, Doris Hansen, and we're grateful that you're sharing part of your evening with us. And we are here every Thursday night at this time to talk about the legacy of polygamy and other false doctrines that the first Mormon polygamy left behind, and of course, uh, that is Joseph Smith. And first of all, we need to say that tonight's show has been pre-recorded, which means that there will be no telephone call-in time like we normally have with our live shows, but we do want to know what you think of our show. If you have comments or questions that you would like to, you can email us, don't call us, but email us, and our email address is tv at aboutpolygamy.com. You know, a long time ago, an uneducated and prayerful young man reported that an angel of light had appeared to him and told him that God's truths had been lost to mankind. He said that the angel told him that he was the prophet that God had chosen to restore lost truths through him. He began to receive revelations which were recorded in a book and then published as being the true words of God, the restoration of those lost truths. A new religion was born and it grew into a large and powerful world religion. And this new religion was used to bring in the practice of plural wives and the teaching that by following certain rules and works and ordinances, the faithful would be blessed with heavenly sexual pleasures for eternity. Now, you might think that this is a familiar story and, and that perhaps it's referring to Joseph Smith, but actually it is almost identical, but it is the story of Muhammad from 610 A.D., and the book is the Quran, and was said to be given to Muhammad by the Angel of Light. And it was also an angel of light that also gave Joseph Smith his book as claimed on the cover page of the pre-1981 Doctrine and Covenants. Tonight we're going to be discussing the similarities of the claims of Joseph Smith, the father uh, of Mormonism, and those of Muhammad, who is the father of Islam. In fact, Joseph Smith claimed that he was the second Muhammad. And we have a quote here that we're going to put up on the screen from History of the Church, Volume 3, where he said, and I quote, I will be to this generation a second Muhammad, whose motto in treating for peace was the Koran or the sword. So shall it eventually be with us, Joseph Smith or the sword, end quote. Now that's quite a statement to make and brings about the parallelism that we're going to talk about tonight. And of course we have an excellent guest to help us through our discussion. In fact, he has written a book comparing Muhammad with Joseph Smith. And he does work currently with a Mormonism research ministry, which was founded in 1989 by Bill McKeever, is located in Draper, Utah. He co-hosts a daily radio show called Viewpoint on Mormonism. And um, it airs twice a day on AM 820 radio at 9.45 AM, as well as at 9.30 PM. So, and it's very interesting show. You might want to listen to that when you can. So I would like to introduce and welcome our guest tonight, Eric Johnson. Thanks for having me on, Doris. Thanks for coming on. 
thanks for preparing and um, we appreciate you here we've got a lot of good stuff to share we do but first of all tell our viewers about yourself why are you doing what you're doing why did you write the book uh, and what do you why do you do what you're doing now well one of the things that I have enjoyed doing over the years is teaching and um, I've, I actually taught for a couple of decades in Southern California and was a Bible department head of a Christian school at a high school and um, I always have enjoyed working with other religions mm -hmm. understanding what other religions are all about it actually started in 1978 when I was in high school when a guy named Jim Jones oh <laughs> um, he had a thousand of his followers commit suicide yeah. and uh, I just wanted to understand better these other religions and wanting to make sure that the religion that I was in was actually true how did I know that I was following the truth when I grew up in a Christian home. Mm -hmm. So I started to study a number of different religions and when the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons or whoever came to my door came, we didn't shut the door in their face. I had them come inside and talk and at the college where I went, San Diego State, they would have Hare Krishnas there and, and just getting to understand better what other people believe from their point of view. Mm -hmm. And so when I taught for the couple of decades in uh, Southern California, I would take my students the last quarter I taught juniors apologetics and we would take them to different religious venues such as mosques and synagogues and and even the Mormon Battalion Center, mm -hmm. um, the Hare Krishna uh, Temple, those different wow. places for my students to be able to understand better from the perspective of these adherence to the religion why they believe the way they did and so I think that's important because as a Christian I believe it's important to own my own faith but to have a reasonable faith and mm -hmm. not just to have mm -hmm. a blind faith and I wanted my students not to just borrow mommy and daddy's faith right. and uh, to be uh, believers of, of Christianity and then go to college and lose their faith as so many did right and that happens and you know that's so important as well the, the Bible tells us to test everything yeah. it tells us to check everything out and so it's wise to do that but but we find in our culture especially that people are afraid to check out other religions yes. and they have that fear and of course when they have that fear there's something wrong so but in Christianity we have that freedom of you're, you're right and so I think it's important you know Mormons oftentimes will ask have you read the Book of Mormon or Je Jehovah's Witnesses will say will you read my magazine mm -hmm. and I read the Quran many many years ago and I was struck to write the booklet that we're talking about now Joseph Smith and Muhammad I was struck at how similar Islam was to Mormonism. Yeah. I had studied Mormonism more over the years because the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses were the ones who were coming to right. my door. You uh -huh. don't find too many Muslims who will come uh, knocking on a door, but uh, I read the Quran and I compared the beliefs and teachings of Islam with uh, with uh, Christianity and then I just found the similarity mm -hmm. and then I started writing these down and before I knew it I had 10, 12, yeah, 15 different comparisons and the booklet that I first wrote in 1998 actually ended up with 20. Wow. Uh, the booklet didn't sell very well with the ministry. I've been working with Bill McKeever of Mormonism Research Ministry since uh, 1989 and so 1998 wrote this. It sold slowly and so we had it available but it was 2001 when 9-11 mm -hmm. came oh. that all of a sudden there was a lot of interest in yeah. Islam and what yeah. that was all about yeah. and so the booklet seemed to sell more and I think a lot of people were surprised at how many items, how many doctrines, how many uh, just as far as Joseph Smith and Muhammad, how mm -hmm. many similarities there were between these two men. Yeah. And I just found it to be 
fascinating. How it could is. that be? It is. And of course, that's what we're going to be talking about the bulk of the show tonight. But first of all, t let's talk a little bit more about some of your other books. You, With Bill McKeever, you've co-authored a couple of books. Yes. Would you like to tell our viewers about those and where they can get them? Yes. Uh, we uh, we have written in 2000 a book called Mormonism 101 that was published by Baker Books. And that is a comparison side by side of the doctrines and the teachings of um, of Mormonism and how it uh, contrasts with Christianity, Biblical Christianity. Mm -hmm. And uh, we try to use their sources in, the, in that kind of a work. And then uh, this past year, uh, 2013, we uh, rewrote a book that was originally written in 1981 by Bill called Answering Mormon's Questions. Mm -hmm. This book is with Kriegel, and this takes 36 of the most common questions that Latter-day Saints will ask, mm -hmm. and how we can answer biblically and explain there are important differences. We can't minimize right, those right, differences to are. be able to explain how do you how do you uh, explain First Corinthians fifteen twenty nine uh, and the baptism for the dead and so mm -hmm. that goes into yeah. an explanation of what that verse means and and what that doctrine is and why right. it's not uh, a biblical doctrine and so that book is available also through Kriegel. Um, our ministry, Mormonism Research Ministry, you can order there. You mm -hmm. can order those books also on Amazon or Christian Book Distributors, mm -hmm. whichever, okay. wh wherever you like yeah. to buy your books. And, and they also are relevant to polygamists simply because the polygamists believe most of the uh, modern-day contemporary Mormon doctrine. And they'll use those same proof texts. Right. They'll use the James 1.5s. They'll use those kinds of passages to support their views as exactly. well. And uh, so it could have crossover, even though we wrote it more specifically for a Latter-day Saint um, background. The church organizational part of it. Yes, but it could be used for anybody who has those kinds of questions and with mm -hmm. so many different splinter groups out there who well, are followers and, and, of Joseph Smith. And there are many uh, polygamists who if they leave the polygamy group they'll go directly into the Mormon church and they need to know what they're going into because it's still the same Joseph Smith, it's still the same Book of Mormon, same, the same basic doctrinal beliefs that uh, that they would go into if they left polygamy and go into the Mormon church. So they should be well read be by right. doing that. And one of the things that we always stress in our ministry is we do this all in love. We, we are making a comparison and a contrast actually, but the idea that uh, somebody has to be wrong on this issue mm -hmm. and uh, come let us reason together. We're right. going to be friendly on our radio show. You'll hear uh, Bill and myself uh, making sure that we are um, of the best behavior. We're not here to bash people. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes people will call us anti-Mormon oh, yeah. and we don't like that term yeah. because a Mormon is a nickname for a person and we love the Mormon people. That's right. why we live here in the that's Utah exactly, state. That's the truth and I, I know exactly what you mean. We, we are for the people but we are not for false doctrine. Well before we get into the book <clears throat> you have some information that you'd like to share and also an invitation uh, for any of our viewers who are interested in a trip to Israel, the Holy Land. Yes, we, one of the things that I have had a chance to do since 2009 is go to Israel every single year having taken almost 200 people with us. Wow. And we just went last uh, February, uh, took a group here mainly from Utah but some other states as well, 42 people. So we're going to spend in 2015, February of 2015, we're going to spend six days looking at um, the seven churches of, of Revelation in Turkey. Mm -hmm. That's a pre-extension. And then going <coughs> to uh, Israel, the land of Israel, for 11 days. Among other things, we, we will see all the major things that uh, would be on any itinerary. But we have Joel Kramer, who mm -hmm. is a good friend of ours, spent a couple of days with us. He'll take us on some special journeys, including he'll talk at Jericho, where we have, um, uh, he did a video, Jericho, 
on Earth. It's a great video that he has done, and mm -hmm. so he'll talk to us about that more there, as well as climbing up to Cave One in Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls, which wow. are currently mm -hmm. here in Utah, yeah. and to be able to go into the cave where they were originally discovered. He'll take us up on that special journey. Uh, but that trip is uh, open to those who would like to come with us. It is uh, available online. If they go to the Apologetic Study Bible Tour.com, I know okay. that's a long, a a long extension there, but yeah. just the Apologetics with a S, studybibletour.com, uh -huh. or they can go to my email, eric at mrm.org, and they can write me and I can give them more information. But uh, I, I would encourage any believer who has not had a chance to go to the Holy Land, it will revolutionize the way that you read your Bible. And so Bill McKeever will be going, uh, Brian Hurlbut, from, the pastor from Lifeline Community, mm -hmm. Corey Anderson from Shadow Mountain is planning on going. We're hoping Matt Slick from CARM.org. The last trip we had Sandra Tanner come with us mm -hmm. and she had a yeah, blast. She's not coming that. on. <laughs> she's not coming on this one, but but we are um, hoping we're going to have devotionals wherever we go. So that if anybody would like to come, uh, please contact, contact us. We'd love to tell you more about mm -hmm. that. Okay, great. All righty then. Now you wrote a book. Let's get into the book. Yep. You wrote a book here, and I think that we've had got a copy to to put up on the screen uh, called Joseph Smith and Muhammad. Uh, is 32 pages, mm -hmm. and we're going to be discussing that tonight. And you've you've briefly talked about the book already, but how can how can viewers get a copy? How much does it cost? It's kind of a booklet, it's 32 pages, but where can they get this? They can write our ministry. I, my email is online on on the screen right now, Eric at mrm.org. If you would like to get it in PDF form, uh, we're asking for a two dollar donation to MRM, which is uh, mrm.org. If you go there, just donate on the PayPal at least two dollars, and then write me an email, and I will send you the copy of that. If you want the hard copy of the book you just uh, show, showed there on the screen, then um, then go ahead and write our ministry. Um, we actually have it on our book, on our, in our um, on our site, on our mm -hmm. mrm.org site, and they so can they order can it right there. there. Uh, it's four dollars for that, but mm -hmm. I thought maybe some people would just like to have the electronic version. It's a short book. Mm -hmm. It's booklet is what it's it really is, and in half an hour you can read through and just get a gist of what I'm trying to say and what we're going to be mm -hmm. talking about here tonight. Right, right, good. So uh, we recommend that you get the book and read it and um, and learn a little bit more about the religion that you believe in. Now I quoted the statement earlier uh, made by Joseph Smith, calling himself the second Muhammad for this generation. And although they are diametrically opposed in some ways, they also have very striking similarities in many ways as well, and that's what the show is about tonight. In 1983, in fact, this quote is in this booklet, a BYU study uh, entitled Mormons and Muslims, a Spiritual Foundation and Modern Manifestations. I want to quote just a part of what was said in that study, and it'll go up on the screen. This is what it is. There are many important elements of Mormon thought in which we feel closer to the followers of Muhammad than to the contemporary Christian culture, end quote. Now, there might be some people who could rightly, very correctly ask the question, if Joseph Smith considered himself the second Muhammad, and if this contemporary BYU study claims that they're closer to, the, to that, that Muslim uh, belief system than the Christians, why do they want to call themselves Christian? And they can't be both by the way. Yeah, and that's a great point. I mean, why not call themselves, we're, we're like the, the Muslims, and uh, they won't do that because there's a negative connotation with, with Islam compared to Christianity. And a lot of people, I think, take uh, 
the, the ideas of Christianity, the moralism from that idea, and they'll, they'll get very upset and offended if you say they're not Christian because they think you're saying that they're not good people. We're not saying that at all, no. but we're saying that the historic biblical faith that we read about in the Bible, there are many, many differences. If there are many mm -hmm. differences, it causes all kinds of confusion right. to say that you're Christian. But that you're making right. a good point there, Doris, by saying, uh, well, if you're closer to the to the Muslim people, then why aren't you making that effort to, to, to extend the olive branch there and to try to call yourselves Muslim? They would never and want then, that. And then, right, and especially when we get into the polygamy discussion with this, how close they are to so, uh, it's eerie how close they are with uh, the Mormon fundamentalists with uh, the original um, religion of Muhammad. Now, the Muslims, of course, are faithful to the memory of Muhammad and to their Quran, their book, their, and they're fanatically uh, close to them, just like the Mormons and the Mormon fundamentalists revere and hold Joseph Smith up uh, and also the Book of Mormon. So aside from the differences that Muhammad and Joseph Smith share, there's, there's so many similarities, especially which are important when we deal with the Mormon polygamy culture. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mormon polygamy is different than Muslim polygamy, but it's still polygamy. Sure. And, and and it's still basically the same thing. With the Mormon polygamy especially, it's a works related uh, gospel for salvation, mm -hmm. where you have to do this in order to be say that's a false gospel, and that is what we defend is the false gospel Absolutely. in that respect. So uh, there are 20 parallels in this book. We're going to go through all the parallels. We're not going to, s to land and stay on all of them, but we are going to mention all of them, and then we're going to land and talk about just a few of them. So let's begin with number one. Uh, the first comparison is that both um, Muhammad and uh, Joseph Smith came from poor families with very little education. Is it possible for a literate man to write the Quran or write the Book of Mormon? And that's the argument that's used. How could anybody who had been so poorly educated as Muhammad and Joseph Smith were come up with all of the the richness of the text of the yeah. Book of Mormon and they say how could a 14 year old boy just come up with this well he wasn't 14 he, it was later on in 1827 to 1830 that he compiled put together the uh, Book of Mormon and the same with Muhammad but but uh, you have to understand a lot of the ideas were being taken from ideas that were already there mm -hmm. including the Bible right. I and mean, you have ideas in the in the Quran that certainly corresponds to ideas from the Bible except there were corruptions of those things right. and so they included Jesus of course because there were Jews and Christians in in uh, the Arabia area where Muhammad grew up and they they take that and they say well how does that happen well Maybe they took some different ideas. The idea of one God was very important, mm -hmm. and Muhammad took that and said, okay, there is no God but Allah, mm -hmm. and Muhammad is his messenger, is now the primary focus point of this religion. And one interesting part, too, is in early America, um, that in classrooms, they, they not only had all grades in the same classroom, but they didn't have publishing companies that published these huge educational mm -hmm. curriculums. They used the Bible as their workbook. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course, they used it to, to learn how to spell, to learn how to read, to learn how to construct sentences, even to learn literature. Joseph Smith could have been in a very easily in a classroom that was learning from the Bible, so he would be familiar with it. It would be familiar information for him, even though he wasn't a believer. Yeah. He still was familiar with the with the Bible itself. And you have to understand, both of these men were very charismatic. They mm -hmm. were very approachable. People loved them both. Very creative, 
And I'm going to say, even if you're poorly educated, you can be a genius. And mm -hmm. I think as far as being able to start religions, both of these men had what it took to be able to put together a religion that has lasted for, well, in Islam's case, uh, centuries, mm -hmm. uh, in, in uh, Mormonism's case, uh, since Decades. 1830, when he started this church with six people. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's do um, number two. Both came from family backgrounds that did not overly encourage religions. And number three, both cre created their religions because of perceived religious confusion uh, and the hypocrisy of the day. So the, the, the culture in Muhammad and the culture in, in uh, Joseph Smith, although different, was still the same religious questioning. Yeah, and um, they certainly believed uh, th that uh, it was important to worship some kind of a god. Even, you know, Joseph Smith supposedly said, use James 1.5 to to uh, pray about whether or not the Book of Mormon, or what true religion was true. Right. That's where he gets the idea uh, that he has a first vision. He, he has God appear to him and Jesus appear to him. And, um, and so the idea is, um, they knew that there was something out there, but they didn't like what was going on around them. So Muhammad did not care for the paganism that was being done at Mecca and the Kaaba, which is where they had all these different idols. He didn't like that. But then he didn't like the Jews and the Christians either because they had better ideas, but they didn't have what it took completely. Mm -hmm. So they borrowed from their cultures to be able to produce something that was more in their minds of a middle road, something that would uh, not be the paganism in Islam's case or, or um, the, uh, the corruption of the Jews and the Christians, but can't we have this without yeah. having either of those extremes? Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Okay, uh, number six and number eight I've kind of put together because mm -hmm. it's, you know, for time constraints and so on, but, and they, they are both um, pretty close to, to each other. The first one is that, that they both claim to have trance-like visions from God Mm -hmm. And they both gave conflicting accounts of their visions with God. Now, Muhammad had miraculous visions continue throughout his whole life. Mm -hmm. And Joseph Smith's entire authority was derived from the visions that he claimed he had from God. Muhammad had four different accounts of his. Joseph Smith had nine different accounts of mm -hmm. his visions. And the third, I think that's the third account that is the official account today. For, for the fourth one for it, for uh, Mormonism. Mm -hmm. um, well, it didn't come about until 1838. It was very late. Uh, uh, there are at least nine different accounts. Yeah. Joseph Smith contradicts himself from his 1832 to 33 diary and his 1834 to 1835 diary, where he says he sees Jesus and he sees many angels mm -hmm. and all the different accounts. But we have very good evidence that it does not come. The official version of God the Father and Jesus does not come until 1838, and then it doesn't get published until the 1840s. And that's the one they're using today. That's the one that's being used today. So actually it's it's as late of an account as you can get, but that's the official version. Many Latter-day Saints don't know about those other versions. Yeah. And I think that's a problem because when we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and we look at what Paul talked about as far as the importance of believing in Christianity, he went straight to history mm -hmm. and he said there were 500 who saw Jesus and the resurrection was so important and that did not change right. from the very beginning and even quotes from a hymn they believe happened put together within the first couple of years after Christianity started. Mm -hmm. But here you have Joseph Smith 18 plus years after he supposedly had this vision of a completely different story, there's differences there that can't be reconciled. If they can't be reconciled and this comes up so late, then how do we know it actually took place? You have to believe the one man 
uh, Joseph Smith. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there, go ahead. There, there are some people who say that, well, you know, we accept the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, of different accounts of Jesus, and they do differ mm -hmm. in the way that they have put down. But there, there is a huge difference between four, four different people telling the same story than there is one man telling the story differently over and over again. And that's a good point because in those four gospel accounts you have them all coinciding with each other. There are nuances of differences uh, based on the reporter. There might have been one angel at the tomb, there might have been two angels. Wherever there's going to be two angels, there's always there's one always angel. One, yeah. So it's one of those things where you can reconcile the differences that right. there are and I actually think that's a strength of the gospels that they're not just copying each other mm -hmm. exactly the Absolutely. way it is. Absolutely. But with, uh, with uh, the story of the first vision, you have major, major problems. You have to depend on Joseph Smith. And in the same with Islam, you have to depend on Muhammad. Mm -hmm. And he said that Gabriel continued to meet with him, recite. These are the things that you're going to have to say, can I trust this one man? Is he worthy of, of trust, especially if he's contradicting contradicting previous revelation? Right. What the Bible said versus what uh, uh, what Muhammad said and what well, uh, Muhammad writes down in the Quran completely contradicts the idea of who Jesus is for instance his deity truly. is completely thrown out the window well when they contradict themselves even yes. and which they both did contradict themselves yep. you had some quotes from the surah that you wanted to to uh, mention yes. in regards to these different well and, and the way that the Quran works it's not written chronologically it's written according to size and so uh, these are called surahs and there are four different accounts uh, surah 53, 2 through 18, and 81, 19 through 24, says that Allah spoke to Muhammad as a man. But then if you go to Surah 16, 102, and 26, 192 to 194, it was a call given by the Holy Spirit that he received. Well, then Surah 15, 8, the angels told Muhammad that Allah had uh, called him to be a prophet. And finally, Surah 2, 97, the traditional count that we have today, one angel, which was Gabriel, issues the call to Muhammad and handed him the Quran. Which one is it? Four different accounts. How, how in the world are we supposed to reconcile this? Now, somebody might try to say they all took place, but, you know, it's not very clear. And, and uh, I mean, when you have Allah speaking to Muhammad as a man and now you have an angel, that just can't, I don't think you can put that yeah. and reconcile yeah. that together. Uh -huh. And that's the same with Joseph Smith's accounts too and his different accounts. Okay, a, a comparison number seven is that both of them claim to have repeatedly been visited by certain angels. Yes. Of course, Joseph Smith's angel was Moroni and um, Muhammad's an, uh, angel was Gabriel. Right. Um, the revelations were later compiled into the Quran and he, yes. ha he kept having visions, and of course, um, Moroni finally gave Joseph Smith the golden plates. Right. Uh, so they both claim to have angel angelic visits. But the Bible warns us about angels with a message that contradicts uh, God's previous revelations, and we do need to bring this up right here because it's so important. If somebody sees an angel that brings a message, there has to be a measure of truth. Mm. There's got to be a measure of truth, and Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9 is the measure that we're going to use. Verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven 
should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Both men claimed revelations from the angels that were not the gospel, uh, the biblical gospel at all. And so the message and the person that brought the message is cursed. And that's why it's so important to understand our Bibles, because exactly. we believe that that is what God's revelation is in the Old and the New Testaments that we have the 66 books. And if you, is it not amazing to you, Doris, to think about how similar that whole idea of being approached by an angel, having such a similar story? I liken it to uh, a, a crook who is what the police will look for, the FBI or whoever's doing the investigation, they're going to look for the similarities and patterns. Mm -hmm. And yes, I'm going to tell are. you that Satan is, he's prowling around like a lion, right. looking for those whom he, he may devour. Uh -huh. I just don't think he's very creative. He is, and he can't create. Only God can create. <laughs> and so he just comes up with, he comes up with the same kind of idea that uh -huh. is believed by so many people. And it's a shame because you have a billion people today who believe in Islam, right. who accept this. And... I believe are headed to hell if they don't have the right relationship with God and and uh, how many millions of people who are followers of Joseph Smith mm -hmm, are exactly. not headed to heaven because they are believing this one man who had this revelation mm -hmm. uh, who had well we go to Joseph Smith, he had dozens and dozens of appearances, not just from angels, but right. he had Old Testament patriarchs right. and yeah. all these different accounts. I mean, he has more appearances than Moses. Or He had to outdo everybody. He, he, well, he did. And, and it's just amazing <laughs> that we believe that man for what he says when it contradicts the previous revelation. And when you In quote Galatians 1, that's a pretty powerful passage. And, and, and the Bible, and it's too bad too because they both rejected the Bible, and yet they used it for their own purposes. Yes. And yet the Bible could teach them how to do discern truth from error. And I'm going to go kind of like the one I just read, but I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. This is a warning to all of us who, who want, really want the truth. Uh, verse 13 says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. And you know, the, the pre-1981 version of the Doctrine and Covenants on the cover page tells us that Joseph Smith was visited by the angel of light. Mm with a different gospel. Isn't that amazing? And we can't, uh, there's just no way that we can justify believing it. Now let's get to the biggie. <laughs> mm. And of course that's what our show is basically about. Both of these men practiced polygamy. Neither one of them officially encouraged polygamy, but they were themselves polygamous. Both of them married very young girls mm -hmm. as polygamous wives. Um, Joseph Smith, in, although people around him practiced polygamy, he didn't publicly encourage it, but his inner circle of men, he did encourage polygamy. So uh, now about Muhammad, um, he didn't even practice polygamy while his first wife was alive, did no. he? Kadisha, um, he, he was just married to her, and after she died, that's when, he, and, and scholars dispute how many he actually had. Did he have 10? Did he have 12? There's different views and on that. And that's the same with Joseph Smith. Scholars dispute how many he actually yes, had. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, both have them placed women on a lower level than men. 
Mm-hmm. And um, Mohammed said witnessing to a woman was only half as important as witnessing to a man. I mean, they, they just, you know, and of course the Mormon priesthood, uh, which is invalid anyway, but they won't let females, they don't allow the females to have it. They have right. to be under the, the male patriarchal system that they have. And in essence, they don't have the ability on their own to be able to go to heaven. They have to be married in the temple. That's and that's right. very similar to Islam because women have a secondary status there. They're, they don't have a priesthood, so to speak, but mm-hmm. they do have um, the authority that the man has. And uh, if you go to countries that are Islamic uh, uh, ruled with the government, you'll see that uh, it takes two women to be able to be a witness to equal one yes, man and that's those right. kinds of things. That's right. and, and I know I can hear a lot of, if, if there's anybody on the on the television or li- watching the television right now saying, uh, you're, you're trying to make us sound like we're Islamic. I'm not saying that at all. But if you're a, a Muslim, um, it, it's well understood that women have a secondary uh, status. And so in uh, Mormonism. Mormonism mm-hmm. has a secondary status that a woman, a woman cannot go there on her own. She shares the priesthood, but that's, I don't think, what the Bible's talking about when it said there's neither male nor female, right. neither Greek right. nor Jew. I mean, mm-hmm. we're all equal in God's sight. Mm-hmm. We all have the authority. We right. believe as Christians Formally. that we have a priesthood, a royal priesthood. We mm-hmm. don't need to have, as a man, a special endowment to be able to give it over to a wife. Right, and we don't find that anyway in the Bible, even the, in the Old Testament. There's, that isn't true. Um, so you have some quotes. First of all, how does how does Joseph Smith's temperament play into this behavior? I think you've got some information you want to share about that. Well, it's interesting because, uh, it, again, as you mentioned, that there are people who dispute how many wives he actually had. Um, uh, some would say it started with Fanny Alger, you know, back in 1833, and others don't. But but I have a quote here from uh, Todd Compton, who wrote the book In Sacred Loneliness, The Plural Wives of Joseph Smith. And I, w- I want you to understand the, the numbers of wives that he took, especially in the last few years of his life. Mm-hmm. 11 or 33% were 14 to 20 years old when they married him. I mean, that's one-third, wow, Doris, yeah. were were teenagers. Nine wives, 27% were 21 to 30. Eight wives, 24% were in Smith's own peer group, ages 31 to 40. In the group aged 40 to 50, there is a substantial drop-off, two wives or 6%, and three or 9% in the group, 51 to 60. The teenage representation is the largest, though the 20-year and 30-year groups are comparable, which contradicts the Mormon folk wisdom that sees the beginning of polygamy as an attempt to care for older unattached women. And that's something that I have found as I have uh, talked to lots of Latter-day Saints and Muslims. I've talked to both. But as far as when it comes to Mormons, many of them don't really know about Joseph Smith and his polygamous ways. They always like to lay the baggage at Brigham Young's Uh door, just as they did recently when they said that uh, Brigham Young was responsible for the black revelation or the black doctrine that they had to have a revelation to to undo. And I'm thinking, why did you have to have this revelation to undo something that was just a theory when it was really doctrine and it was certainly Brigham Young believed in, in that idea of the blacks. But uh, when it comes to polygamy, Joseph Smith was just as much of a polygamist as Brigham Young. He may not have had quite as many as Brigham Young. He had 40-something, 56. I think. 56. Was it 56? 33 wives, and a, and a third of them being teenagers, and then another third of them 
who were married already to, married to living husbands yeah. how can you justify such a th such a, an event but a lot of latter-day saints i don't think know that they that's don't true. know it or they do justify it in some really odd ways and you know as i was reading about muhammad he he saw a wife of a man by the name of Said, I'm not sure if I'm saying yep, this yep, right. You got it. And she didn't have the veil on, and he wanted her. Yes. And so he's, and that's what Joseph Smith did. Yeah. He wanted other men's wives. Absolutely. And went to them and and tried to take them. And, and did take them. And here's the thing. I mean, when it comes to the Book of Mormon, it says in Jacob chapter two, the only reason that polygamy should be allowed right. is to increase your seed. Mm -hmm. Well, why are you marrying other? Uh, men's wives that that's a, an issue you don't need but it. when it comes to um, Muhammad he had a very clear instruction in Surah 4 3 and he said if ye fear that ye shall not be able to deal justly with orphans marry women of your choice two or three or four but if ye fear that ye shall not be able to deal justly with them then only one or a captive that your right hand hands possess that will be more suitable to prevent you from doing injustice. And yet later he comes up with this exclusion for himself and he ends up marrying more than four. And a lot of Muslims want to argue, argue the point, well, he did it for beneficial reasons. There were good reasons. Well, yeah. what I yeah. see in their own scripture is that here's what it's intended to be and here's what Muhammad did to be able to uh, make that rule work for him, and he had more. And I don't care if they were having conjugal relations or not. I mean, you can have it any way you want, but to actually marry more than what you were supposed to, if, if four is the number right, that you're right. allowed, it seems like how can you come up with a different number? And today, uh -huh. Muslims would not consider somebody to be a Muslim if they married more than four. So Muhammad got different rules. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. And and a, 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 a big difference between the two, however, and this is a very important difference, is that with Joseph Smith's polygamy, with Mormon polygamy, Mormon fundamentalists today, it is required for exaltation. Um, Joseph Smith said, Joseph, and Brigham Young said, Heber Kimball said, Wilford, they all said, live it or be damned, live it or be damned. They all said that. Yes. Muslims did not say that. No. They didn't say that and at in all. Fact, so I it had nothing to do with their eternity. No, and I think only about 2% of all people who call themselves Muslim actually are polygamists. But that still goes on in Africa and other places. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, it's interesting because Joseph Smith took teenagers and Muhammad, he took uh, a seven-year-old, mm -hmm. his favorite wife actually, yeah. and uh, they consummated the marriage at nine. Nine years old. And a lot of people bring that out and uh, Muslims will get really upset because it sounds like child molestation. But what they will use is the same kind of folk wisdom that Mormons will use. They'll come up with explanations to to support that idea. I have one quote here from an Islamic website. I just want to read this just to get you uh, in tune with what they're trying to say. The question is, can we consider his marriage to Aisha a case of child molestation? And here's the answer they gave. To answer your speculation, let's continue our objective trip into the past. Obviously, when traveling back in time 1400 years to examine a lifestyle we never witnessed, it is unfair to apply our present-day standards, so let's listen to the experts. Authentic historical records prove that the social traditions of the time and place, regardless of religion, considered Arab females as women as soon as their menstrual cycles began. The custom was to give daughters a marriage at that age. 
This was practiced by all dwellers in Arabia before Islam, pagan, disbelievers, Jews, and others. It is a fact that female menstruation in hot climates starts at much earlier than in cold climates. So females in Arabia matured as early as eight or nine. They also aged earlier than other women. Now, if you see, Doris, what they're trying to say is, well, he did take a seven-year-old, eventually consummated the relationship with this girl when she was nine, but it's okay because she was more of a woman back then than they are today at nine, so we shouldn't think badly about it. When I believe God's ideal is, even in the Bible, was one man and one woman. Right. And when we have the account in Genesis where uh, the one man should be joined with the one woman, they become one flesh. one flesh. And Jesus quoted from that very clearly. You see in in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7, Paul talks about this idea of sex and, and marriage, and it was always in the context of one man and one right. woman. Mm -hmm. Certainly polygamy was allowed in the Old Testament, but it was never something that God commanded. And I think did. a lot of people don't understand the, the problem with that, because if you're going to say, well, look at Abraham, mm -hmm. look at all these different cases, when the Bible doesn't say that it was commanded, it was something that God allowed them to have, just right. like divorce. Divorce is okay in certain circumstances, but it certainly was never, never. in God's intended best. Exactly. And there are some um, in this culture especially who, who really can't handle the fact that we say that Jacob and Abraham, the patriarchs, actually were sinning. Uh, how, can, how can we talk about our religion the way we do if we t say that our prophets were sinning? Mm -hmm. Well, that's the whole point of the gospel is that all are sin, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The beauty of the Bible is that it tells the truth, yeah. even about our sins, even about what we do wrong. Yeah. Even Abraham did wrong. So did David. So did Jacob. Um, and look at all the cases where polygamy only led to ruin it. I exactly. don't see one example in the Bible. If you're going to look at Abraham, you're going to look at David, look at Solomon. I mean, take, take a look at Solomon and all of the different women that he entertained, and uh, I only see ruin that came at exactly. the result of that yeah. and, and what God had intended, and certainly the imagery that he gives in the New Testament of the bride and the bridegroom, yes. you know, that the church is is waiting for this. It's the uh, one bride. Yes, and, and um, amazing what, you know, we're waiting for the return of that Savior, one Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. who will redeem the church to be able to, uh, right. to have a relationship with him in heaven, and someday that will happen. But, the, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing that the justification that you can give to either Muhammad or, or Joseph Smith to say, well, here's the reason mm -hmm. why, when I don't see any good reason to be marrying teenagers. I don't right. see any good reason to be marrying uh, um, married women. Right. Um, but, but here's another quote, one more I got to give you because I think this is important. Uh, Muslim website says, if every adult American man married only one woman, there would still be more than 25 million women in the United States who would not be able to get husbands, at least considering that, according to latest statistics, 10% of the American population is gay. <laughs> huh, that's kind of hard. That's close to 30 million people. I don't know where they got that stat, but uh, thus the only option for a woman who cannot find a husband is either to marry a married man or to become public property. Islam gives women the honorable position by permitting the first option and disallowing the second. At least one of the reasons Islam has permitted limited polygamy is to protect the modesty of women. Do you see how they just flip that argument on its backside? Yeah, and there's nothing to back up what they're saying here no. anyway. But my question after I read that um, is that they permitted limited polygamy is to protect the modesty of women. My question is how? 
Yeah. How does polygamy protect the modesty of women? Yeah. It, and I mean, uh, you can look at the different groups that do practice it today uh, in in the um, in Utah. I mean, let's Warren Jeffs. I mean, how does that protecting the modesty of women of all uh, the things that he did? Especially when the women are traded off, he'll send their husbands away and reassign women to new husbands, and yeah. and only three men can impregnate the women in the whole. Life. There's no modesty protection no. there at all. Women are actually the uh, they bear the brunt of uh, of the uh, sin of that whole uh, scenario. Mm -hmm. I, I can't state they it do. any other way. It's it's just wrong. Mm -hmm. yeah, the hurt is mostly the women. Now, of course, the men suffer. You know, and unfortunately, we don't deal with this a lot on the show. Maybe we should more. But men suffer under polygamy as well because they mm -hmm. don't know the beauty that God had intended of one man and one wife yeah. and that exclusive love that they should have for each other and that the, the, the um, tenderness and, and the, the intimacy that because when a woman is married to, a, he's got four women, five women, or whatever. Yeah. How can he have a, an exclusive intimacy? He can't. Well, and I, I saw one show where they were following this polygamous family, and the husband was trying to deal with his four wives. And this wasn't one of the reality shows; it was just a documentary. And uh, they got so jealous. And on the surface, when they're in front of the cameras, they're not jealous. But when they showed what was going on behind the scenes, one wife was overweight. And mm -hmm. she thought that she wasn't loved as much as, as the other wives. And so she was complaining to her husband and crying. And I just felt for the guy at that yeah. point. Because what how in the do? world do you try to make her feel like she's that important and then keep the other three happy as well? It's a... It's a juggling act that it I don't is. think I want to attempt. It is. It's, it is for the man as well. And uh, did you want to quote Matthew? Um, yeah, Matthew 19, 4 through 5. Jesus, again, the biblical standard is, I believe, one man, one woman. And Jesus answers and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Referring oh. back to Genesis. And this is right from the mouth of Jesus, and he's confirming that Genesis is is a trusted book, yep. and that the Adam and Eve is a trusted story, and that monogamy is a, trust, a trusted behavior. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Jesus is doing all he of that. He certainly so, is. So if you believe in Jesus, you've got to believe what he taught, if you truly believe in him. Um, now, you ha you talked about um, the sex part of, what was it platonic or was it not? We already talked about that a little bit. Did you still want to do the quote from Compton? Yeah, I do. Um, in Sacred Loneliness, Todd Compton says, because reorganized Latter-day Saints, that's the community of Christ Church today that's mm -hmm. in Independence, Missouri, claim that Joseph Smith was not really married polygamously in the full sexual sense of the term. Utah Mormons, including Smith's wives, affirmed repeatedly that he had physical sexual relations with them, despite the Victorian conventions in 19th century American culture, which ordinarily would have prevented any mention of sexuality. Some, like Emma Smith, conclude that Joseph's marriages were for eternity only, not for time, thus with earthly sexuality. But many of Joseph's wives affirm that they were married to him for eternity and time with sexuality included. Right, that's true. That's very true. And besides, even aside from that, and, and some of the justification that does take place with the people who can't believe that Joseph Smith lived this way, well, it was only to take care of the widows. It was only to give them, you know, income and protection and so on. But that's not what Jacob says. No. That's not what it says. It says that it was to rise up righteous seed. Mm -hmm. It was for procreation. Uh, it was for that purpose. That's what they 
originally said it was for. So they, they can't justify it any other way. And here's another similarity between Joseph Smith and Muhammad. We don't know of any kids that came from those relationships. Um, we certainly know that Mo uh, Muhammad had relations with his first wife and they had several kids, but uh, uh, we don't know. And a lot of uh, scholars would say he had no children, but Mo um, for, for uh, Joseph Smith as well, he had no children either that we know of. There's some speculation, but mm -hmm. they've done some DNA testing. And so if that's the case, why aren't they raising up seed? Well, one of the plural wives he had that was married to another man, she said one of the worst things that, that she had to face being married to two men was when she had a child whose the father was. Yeah. She actually said that. And can you imagine the despair of trying to figure that out? And for the child to grow up, who is your daddy? Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Okay, um, so, and you had something also to quote from Mormon Enigma. Did you still want to cover that? Yeah, do one? we have time? Uh, yeah, we've still got a few okay. minutes. Okay, well, um, I want to I re I read this story from Mormon Enigma, which was written by two uh, Mormon ladies, um, and uh, this is page 100 and 101 of this book. It's, it's a book about um, Emma Hale Smith, mm -hmm. and uh, this is what it says. Mary Elizabeth Rollins Leitner indicated that Joseph had first come uh, commented in 1831 that she would one day become his wife. Joseph approached her again in 1834. She's a teenager at this time. But afraid of the unusual arrangement, she married Adam Leitner on August 11, 1835. Early in 1842, Joseph again reminded her that he had been commanded to take her as a wife. By this time, Mary Elizabeth said she had been dreaming for a number of years that she was his wife. She commented to Joseph, however, well, don't you think it was an angel of the devil that told you these things? No, it was an angel of God, Joseph reassured her. The angel came to me three times between the year 1834 and 1842, and I said I was to obey the principle or he would slay me. Mm. Mary Elizabeth said Joseph told her that the last time the angel had come with a drawn sword and threatened her life, Joseph said I was his before I came here and all the devils in hell should never get him, me from him. The extraordinarily powerful psychological and theological argument, I want you to notice that, yeah. the psychological and theological argument placed her in a contest between mm -hmm. good and evil. Right. Joseph held out one final argument that carried much weight in the eyes of those people who intended to live their lives by the word of God in order to inherit his proposal. All that God gives me, I shall take with me, for I have that authority and that power conferred unto me. Mary Elizabeth said she would not be moved, married to him until she too had a witness. Quote, if God told you that, why does he not tell me? You shall have a witness, Joseph promised. Then he asked Mary Elizabeth if she was going to be a traitor. I shall never tell a mortal I had such talk from a married man, she replied. Mary Elizabeth, who had been in Emma's house often and had taught painting to Julia, uh, Smith's child, mm -hmm. was mindful of another complication. She asked if Emma knew about her. Joseph neatly sidestepped the issue with an incomplete answer. Emma thinks the world of you. <laughs> After making Joseph's proposal the subject of prayer, Mary Elizabeth said an angel passed silently through her room and out the window one night. After telling Joseph of the experience, she asked him why, if it was an angel of light, it did not speak to her. You covered your face, he told her, and for this reason the angel was insulted. Will it ever come again? Joseph thought for a moment and then said, no, not the same one, but if you are faithful, you shall see greater things than that. He then predicted three signs that would take place in her family. Every word came true, she said. Brigham Young officiated at her marriage to Joseph. 
And you know what, strong, what, what really strongly hits me on this is we have other angels here. We already talked about the mm -hmm. angels and, and how dangerous it is to believe that every spiritual experience is from heaven because it's not. But God gave the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. Why does she even have to ask for a sign? Yeah. She was married. He was married. Yeah. And she has to know if it's right. Yeah. What's wrong here? And you're listening to one man tell you what the truth is, and contrary to whatever the Bible and God's revealed revelation from before says. And that's the danger even today. There are people out saying, I am the one who's the true voice for God. Yeah. And they mm -hmm. listen to that person. And as you said earlier, we're supposed to test everything. Yeah. In mm -hmm. Acts chapter 17, we see that the Bereans were considered to be more noble right. than the Thessalonians because they went to the scripture to see if what Paul, an apostle, was right. saying, if it were actually true. So if we want to be noble in God's eyes, we better check it out. And that's, that's exactly, exactly the point. Right. Yeah. Okay, very quickly, we, do, we are getting low on time here. Very quickly, uh, both Muhammad and Joseph Smith taught that heaven would be filled with sexual pleasures for eternity. Yes. They both taught that, and of course, that's marriage in heaven. Jesus said there was no marriage in heaven. Mm -hmm. uh, they both said there was, right, or, or at least sexual pleasure. Uh, number 12 and 9 together both used the Bible, yet they both claimed the Bible was corrupt. Yeah. And then they claimed that God gave them scripture to, to kind of firm it all up and, and make it right. And that Latter-day Revelation for a Mormon certainly is the three other works in the standard works. And for a Muslim, mm -hmm. it is the Quran, which fixed the errors that had been corrupted. Mm -hmm. and well, Joseph Smith did that when he, re when he edited the Bible as well. And he finished it according to History of the Church, Volume 1, page 368. He says he finished that he in did. 1833, had been commanded in 1833 to have uh, finished, finished it. it. And if a lot of people say it wasn't finished, well, why did he not finish it if he was commanded by God? Eleven years later, when he dies, he had not done the work he was supposed right. to. And he said he finished it anyway. He yes. said, today I finished. Right. Okay, number 10. We're, we're down to just a few seconds. Both believe their religions were a continuation from the Old Testament system. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course, you have to go to them to get the truth. Both taught that Jesus was not God in the flesh. And then we have several others. Anyway, you're going to have to get the book and read for the rest. We don't have time to finish them all uh, because we are getting toward the, of course, the end of the show. Again, time goes by so quickly. Um, I want to thank you, Eric, for coming. Thank you for and, having me. And uh, we're going to do another show together on another topic. We're not exactly sure uh, yet when this show is going to be shown, so we can't say when. But, but uh, I appreciate you coming and sharing your expertise with us, and we look forward to doing the next show. It was a pleasure. Um, my closing comments after we talk about Muhammad and Joseph Smith and, and religions so many centuries apart, where is the standard for truth? Almost every religious belief existing on this planet either claim that they are the only true religion or that there are many roads that lead up the mountain into God's heaven. But this cannot be true. Two or more contradictory statements about the same thing cannot be true at the same time. For instance, Allah is supposed to be only one God. Joseph Smith's God is merely one of millions of gods. Uh, Joseph Smith's uh, Jesus is, is the literal son of God, which means sexual activity. Joseph Smith's Jesus is also the devil's spiritual brother, but that can't be true either. 
Um, eternal life is either by works or by grace. It's not by both. There is either marriage and sex in heaven or there isn't. And Joseph Smith and Muhammad said there is, but Jesus, Jesus Christ said that there isn't. Uh, Jesus said that no one has ever come down from heaven except himself. So then uh, why would we believe people uh, that haven't been from heaven and, and, and not believe what Jesus said who did come down from heaven and knows the details about heavenly things? Why would we trust somebody besides Jesus? He's already told us these things. Uh, we do trust that this comparison with Joseph Smith Ohama tonight and with the similarities of their religions have instilled a desire for you to at least sum up the courage to check these things out. Like Eric mentioned in Acts 17, uh, be noble in God's eyes and search the scriptures to see if what you're being told is true. Uh, when a man says that God says, he puts himself on in, online for inspection, for investigation, and for a test of his integrity. And both of these men we've talked about tonight when held up to Jesus Christ fail the test. Jesus is God the Son. Jesus is God the Savior, the Savior of those who will put all of their faith and their trust in Him alone, in Him exclusively, not works, but in Him. Our plea to the polygamists who watch our show isn't, it isn't the, the polygamy pleases God, it's that Jesus pleases God. And, 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 and polygamy won't save you, but if you're in Christ, you're on the narrow road to life. So toss polygamy as a God pleaser, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior because He is the only way to heaven. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.